1: Welcome back to You Can't Kill the Boogeyman, the Nerd Party's retro perspective series, talking about the Halloween series as we hone in on Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green. The shape stalks, the shape kills. I'm John Mills, and with me again is Matt Matt Hanson. How are you, Matt?
0: I'm good. I actually feel like I'm on drugs because we just watched this movie.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, You know what? Usually we do a little song and dance, say go over to the nerdparty.com, check out all the shows, and we're saying that now. But I really want to get into this because Halloween 6, the curse of Michael Myers, is no matter how you rank it in the series.
0: Weird. It's weird.
1: Because of the nature of this movie, it is, to, to borrow a very well-trodden uh, phrase, it's the red-headed stepchild of the series. It's the, one of these things is not like the other sort of movie. And it's in, like, some,
0: in some ways, even more so than three, yeah, which is not like the other movies,
1: yeah. But three has an excuse, three is its own thing. This is something crazy, but still in the continuity. I mean, it, that is it, it is such a reach. And you know, we're of course going with the presumption that everybody's seen at least the theatrical cut, yeah. But
0: we're talking, of course, uh, Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers, right. aka Halloween 6.
1: Although the posters uh, also said Halloween 666 on occasion.
0: Well, you, this, the thing is like the, the production history on this thing is as interesting as like some, like, I thought like Alien 3 had the most interesting production history until I read the stuff on Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. First of all, you know, six years later, so we're now in the mid nineties, Yep. right before the um, slasher renaissance. because So this is 1995, Scream would come out at the end of 1996. Mm-hmm. So horror is still the redheaded stepchild genre at this point. True. Because um, that, you know, earlier in the decade, you had things like uh, Freddy's Dead and New Nightmare and Jason Goes to Hell. So it was all those weird existential breakdowns of, of their past series. And that's exactly what we got here. Um, so six years later, <laughs> it, was, it was originally going to be called Halloween Origin of Michael Myers, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes, you are correct. Um,
0: and <laughs> there's so much production history and troubles with this i think the writers like just said in jest oh, this movie should be called halloween curse of michael myers and it stuck
1: and it's it's an interesting title i can say that this one i have a very clear memory of seeing it in the theater and i remember this was the first time where the fir- where at the first go through of watching a uh, halloween movie I was not scared. I actually took a smoke break because I was a smoker at the time. I took a smoke break during this movie. I actually got up and went out and smoked a cigarette in front of the theater and then came back in because I was just, it was overwhelmingly what is going on. I don't understand yeah, what is thing. happening here.
0: And it should be noted that there are, this movie is famous because there are two different cuts that we'll be talking about interchangeably. There was of course the theatrical that was streamed into the theaters. That's the cut that I imagine. If anyone who's seen this movie, that's the cut that they've seen. Mm-hmm. There's also the producer's cut, which is an alternate cut that that was originally the first cut of the movie, that apparently tested very poorly, um, and so it was uh, unavailable for many many years, except if you went to like bootlegs or got some like crappy uh, VHS. Uh, dub over. It was very much like you're a Star Wars fan. It's much like the holiday special. That's right. For it was much like the holiday special for many many years. And then I don't know if you got the the box set, John, but back in 2014 when the Halloween Blu-ray box that came out, they finally remastered and put the producer's cut onto Blu-ray. So it's all clean now. It's it's um, clear. And that's the that's the version I ended up watching last night along with the theatrical version.
1: Yeah, I uh, I actually abstained from watching the producer's cut for many years because my opinion was I really disliked Halloween Six, and I didn't see any way that it could have been better. I saw no reason to go back, and so the first time I watched the producer's cut was only a couple of years ago, and I've you know I've since obviously revisited it, and I can honestly say that. As crazy as it is, it is my preferred cut. If I'm going to watch a Halloween 6, it's going to be the producer's cut.
0: I'll let you in on a little secret, John. What's that? I had never seen the producer's cut in full until last night.
1: And? I'm dying to know.
0: And here's the thing, is that it is a better film, but it's not a good film. That's That's my stance on it.
1: Okay, where does it now? See, I know that in the theatrical cut, there is—I mean—the seams show even worse. In oh yeah, it, it, once you see the producer's cut, the, the seams oh, in the theatrical cut are so much more I, apparent. I, I
0: can't—I de- can't deny that in certain parts of the producer's cut, it was like night and day. I think it's a—it's better paced. I think events lead into another more naturally in the producer's cut. Mm-hmm. The problem, I just have fundamental problems with the story itself. And the story itself doesn't change much from from theatrical to producer's cut. True. Because here we're getting into the issue that I mentioned way back during our first podcast about how the beauty of the Halloween series when it started out was that there was absolutely no mythology or reason for why Michael Myers did the things that he did. He was just the boogeyman and he happened to catch Laurie Strode dropping the keys off at his house and then so on and so forth. We got the sister thing and that was okay. So we accepted that. We moved on. Okay. Now it's the niece. Cause she's out of the picture, but here is where the mythology just breaks down for me. And it, it sadly it's, it's rampant in both cuts. Now I understood it better in the, in the producer's cut than I did the theatrical cut, but I still don't like it. I don't like this explanation at all. So it it runs into that impossible to jump over hurdle.
1: So in in essence, this this movie is never going to truly work for you, specifically because the very premise goes against what should be in the series. Uh, f- yeah. from your standpoint,
0: because it's it, to me it's just now it's too convoluted. I mean.
1: It so, is pretty convoluted. Yes, that that is I mean, extremely true. <laughs>
0: just from little things like, you know, all of a sudden, like it's revealed in this movie uh, in 1963, Michael Myers wasn't alone with his sister. He had a babysitter there, but we just never saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he heard voices, although that's never, ever been. Uh, indicated. Mm-hmm. Uh and this damn thorn thing, I just, it, it's so, it's so silly and it gives way too much insight into a thing that I didn't need any insight to.
1: See, I I, I will totally cop to the fact that this, this type of horror movie appeals to a side of me that loves when they bring up these uh, obscure, pseudo-actual, Uh, you know, occult things. I think that those are fun sorts of things. I know that there was very much, because it's the same sort of impulse that gives birth to something like the Blair Witch Project and stuff like that. In the 90s, there seemed to be this uh, gravitation toward this occult stuff that was going on. It's very very odd because it, it, you know, everything sort of follows itself and there are all of these trends and, you know, Halloween and then we get the slashers in general and then... I mean, honestly, the Nightmare on Elm Street series as it was petering out hits sort of this odd occult note on the way out with like the, you know, the the dream child and the dream pool. And then we see that sort of psychic connection stuff come over into the Halloween series, and it seems as if Halloween six is this uh this this extreme projection of like like it went to the extreme end of the scale. Like it it hit the gas and that six years was long enough for it to incubate and go toward, uh, you know, a logical extremity. Now – I completely understand what you're saying, where it's like we should have hit the brakes before we got to that point.
0: See, here's the thing, too, John. I like a good occult film. I like the Blair Witch Project. I think stuff like that could work. I even think I even said way back when that I thought the premise for Halloween 3 had promise. Mm-hmm. It was just executed really weirdly. It is specifically this uh, this, you know, taking this occult thing and making that the explanation for Michael Myers that I have a problem with.
1: Sure. Sure, and, and again, I can get that. Setting that aside, though, just accepting that that's going to be you know the way that it is, I think one of the things that probably held me back from watching the producer's cut is because, of course, it says unrated producer's cut. And in my experience, once you put the word unrated on a horror movie... It's like the Saw series, where it's like, oh great, I'm going to see a bone sticking out of somebody's just, eye. Just or something.
0: wait, I'm, I'm telling you now, John. Just wait till we get to the zombie weens and those unrated versions, because that's exactly what they are.
1: I really just am not looking forward to that. But the 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 producer's cut here, is I think actually, it's actually less violent. It is. It's less graphic. It blew my mind because the theatrical cut, which I revisited, you know, and, and went back to, like. To the very first kill That Michael Myers has On screen where uh, I'm sorry the second one because he sticks the woman Up on the uh, conveniently placed Yeah spike. so
0: basically the, the film Opens with Jamie Lloyd giving birth To A baby who That's another problem that I have With the producer's cut is just icky But we'll get there in a minute Um yeah, so she escapes. Uh, one of the nurses gets killed, but yeah, that second kill of the she. So she steals a car, and the guy who's was driving it wants, you know, was trying to confront her, and then gets killed by Michael Myers. Right. I remember in the theatrical cut, like he twists his neck, and you see like the spinal column sticking out, and it's all bloody. Yep. And in the producer's cut that I watched last night, he just twists the neck, and the guy falls
1: over. Correct. Which is uh, amazing, and. I I you know it floors me because I've never seen in a sense I look at that and I see the fingerprints of the studio saying no we got to jazz it up it's got to be more horror well you, you know? know
0: what john you can blame 14 year old kids because apparently they they screen tested this and made all the alterations to the theatrical cut that they did so that it could appeal to the 14 year old kids who were too young to get into an R rated movie anyway That's why there's increased violence. There's the electric guitar soundtrack, which is just God awful. (laughs) And also why Dr. Loomis and the theatrical cut almost is cut out entirely because test audiences found him quote unquote boring.
1: Right. Which is nuts because by this point, you know, you're watching for Loomis and uh, you know, uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and go to Jamie Lloyd's kid here because you're not the first person, um, I have had the discussion with where, you know, a term like icky or unsettling comes up because in the producer's cut, they make it very clear that that child is Michael's child. Yeah. There's an implied rape scene. Well, it's a, uh, they, I mean, they, they call out, they were trying to get Michael to come and repeat the act. Um, with the, the the next maiden, as it were.
0: but That's something, well, let's no, just focus on ahead. the icky aspect for a second because uh, incest, I didn't need this in a Halloween movie. And it's just, not only is it gross, it doesn't make sense because he's trying to kill off the rest of his bloodline, but he's making another bloodline. He's about to make a third one with, with Kara at the end. So I'm like, well is he trying to kill off his bloodline? Is he trying to pass the curse to Danny? Why is he creating extra family members? How the hell did the Strode's fit in on all of this?
1: Sure. I I I don't I don't discount anything in in that logical thing in terms of the the uh the troubling ritual uh you know that that they're trying to instigate. There's very much a, I, I mean, you know that's sort of like it's it's almost like a Rosemary's baby sort of thing. you know, Michael Myers is the devil in this case, and he's creating offspring. But I think the the bigger thing to pick on is that logical leap. because if he is charged with going and killing his family, then it really doesn't make sense for him to have offspring because of the fact that you you know you perpetuate the cycle. And you have to make you you have to sit there and do too many uh, mental twists around to try to provide your own reasoning for it. Um, and it also goes to like it makes you think back on the last two films. Is like,
0: so was this the plan for Jamie the whole time? Because it sure didn't right. feel that way.
1: Well, I think I think that that's where the movie winds up being a victim of the distance right. from the rest of the the series is. Hollywood moves in a very, very brisk pace. And if you get a new studio who's backing it and they say, we want to bring this franchise up to speed and we want to, we want to get it going. You can very easily end up with something like this where you get somebody that pitches an idea and then you're like, okay, yeah, cool. Let's develop that. But the people aren't familiar enough with the, property itself or or the the rhythm has been broken basically right and A yeah, so, uh, production
0: note by the way this yeah. is the first halloween that's produced under miramax right exactly and dimension
1: it's not the least bit surprising to me that it that it went this way uh you know the the wine scenes were well known for tampering with things and
0: and Dimension at yeah. this point hadn't made scream yet. They were they were you know what they were pumping out at this point John was those Children of the Corn sequels. So right. that makes sense.
1: Right, they're just getting their feet under them, getting experience, uh, getting it to the theater, basically. Uh, but yeah, you know, I I think that Halloween Six is fascinating in the sense that it it does. You know, the the biggest uh, problem stems from the fact that the, the rhythm has been broken by this point. And in a sense, it feels like there are two competing threads that are mashed into each other. Because there is some interesting stuff with his return home where, you know, oh, you live in the house. It's, you know, your family now. Right. But there's also the dad in this family is uh, you you spoke about this we we spoke about this before they they've fallen into the the horror trap of feeling the need to create characters that we want to die so that we don't yeah. feel bad when they die violently later and i don't that's something that i that is repulsive to me because i don't want in any way to root for the killer to do something, but this dad character, it, whether it's the theatrical or the producer's cut,
0: by the way, John na- is named John specifically yeah. as an homage to John Carpenter, which is, a, I mean, that's so respectful, right? You name the, you homage John Carpenter by naming the character who's the biggest asshole in the film right. after him,
1: right? Exactly. And you,
0: and, you, and you homage Deborah Hill by making the abused mother the mousy mother named after her.
1: Right. And, and that, but I mean, that is the character that I feel bad, you know, most bad for in the movie because, you know, if we're going to talk about logic skips, this is one of the biggest, one of the bigger ones is that, you know, Loomis shows up to warn her and she doesn't leave at that point she calls to verify she call, you know, and she's like, Oh, well, why, why were we in this house? You're alive. Why wouldn't Loomis take her with him? Loomis knows what's coming. Why wouldn't he say, right. listen, trust me, we're not leaving until you leave. Michael doesn't want a confrontation with me yet. You're safest. If you come with me, you know, like, do, do, wouldn't that have made more sense?
0: It would have made more sense. What's more frustrating to me is that when she's making that call, she finally displays some sort of like agency finally and it's right before she dies
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and it and the thing is if you're going to give michael this uh conflicted motivation you're indicating that he has some sense of reason and purpose and why not go the whole nine yards and have him show mercy and let her go? Right? If you're going to cross mm-hmm. the bridge and you're going to say, well, he has a purpose and he's controlled by the cult of Thorn and he's trying to sire his own bloodline that he's also trying to wipe out, why not just go whole hog and just say, and he's going to let her go because he sees that, you know, there's something pitiful about her where she's being used the way he is. And so he recognizes that and she's the one that he spares. Right? Like I, why not embrace The
0: thing that? is, is that I don't I don't even know how aware, because you know, Michael's a character that doesn't talk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't even know how aware he is that he's being used.
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. Although the thing I mean, and this is the thing that, that kills me with the ending is the ending of the producer's cut. Just flat out. Oh, the out ending makes sense. I was gonna say sense.
0: I like the producer's cut. That ending is lame. I hate that ending.
1: You uh, you mean the ending of the producer's cut? Both endings, but the
0: ending of the producer's cut is especially lame.
1: See, I am way more forgiving of the ending of the producer's cut than I am. The ending in the theatrical cut is this jumbled mess. I remember seeing it is it a mess. The, I remember Both seeing it for suck. the first time and seeing him go in and start killing all of the people in the operating room
0: with the strobe lighting it, right. it gives me a headache. And no, both both let me make it clear both endings suck, but I it, I was hoping for something better with the producer's cut and I just it was it just ended. It's it was lame.
1: See, I think that the end. I am of the opinion that the ending of the producer's cut at least makes sense and I I actually see it as uh you know, uh, like the right ending for it, if and, you will. Whereas the ending- maybe it's,
0: because I, maybe it's because I'm so repulsed by this cult stuff and this explanation that that is part and parcel of the producer's cut ending is that it uses that cult thing to their advantage. Well, so, I mean-
1: The, the thing that, that I think is very indicative of all of the troubles of the production, because there are always little tells. I mean, we've had the big tells- you know, with the the story problems and stuff like that, but there are also little tells throughout it. One of them being that when Loomis shows up, and you find out that Win, ha- you know, Michael has swapped out with Win to get out of the 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 sacred circle or or whatever, and uh, he transfers the mark of thorn. Part of the illusion is the shoes because the man in black always has those silver tipped cowboy boots.
0: With the Spurs. Right.
1: And when he, and when Loomis shows up, it's Michael's boots. And so you're like, oh yeah, Michael did a complete change. But then when they show Michael walking away in the outfit of the man in black, he's got his shoes on. He doesn't have the cowboy boots. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, well, how do you overlook Like that's a continuity error where even if I had loved everything up to that point, I'm going to catch it on the third or fourth viewing and say, huh, well, what happened to his, you know, what happened to the cowboy boots then? Right. And like, right. It, it's, um, I, I, I think that the ending with Loomis getting the Mark of Thorn transferred to him has its own set of problems. I mean, you go back to Halloween five and, you know, poor Donald Pleasance is having enough trouble moving around and staying. Yeah. Now
0: the, all of a sudden he's going to be the guardian for Michael.
1: Right. Continue, continue, you know. Staking the continuation of the franchise on the idea that Loomis can never leave it, you've really painted yourself in a corner here. Got, ironic that you
0: know, he died mid-production of this one, too.
1: Right? And yeah. it is just, I don't know. I, I mean, personally, I would say that most likely when Donald Pleasants did die during production, they should have just pulled the plug. They should have just said, this just isn't going to work. And this is a bad omen, let's just eat the loss and move on. And it instead comes across as pride got in the way and they said, screw it, we've already spent the money, let's let's go in. Right. We're, we're guaranteed to make something on opening weekend at least.
0: Yeah, I mean... I'll give him credit though. I mean, there there are things that I like about this movie, and especially the producer's cut, and the fact that most of Pleasance's stuff is still preserved Mm -hmm. in the producer's cut. I can honestly say that the man was giving his all right up into the end.
1: Yeah, for sure. And
0: he can barely talk anymore, but he's
1: trying. uh, But then you additionally put um, a a brand new, fresh faced Paul Rudd, the future Ant Man, in the production.
0: Same year as Clueless, by the way. And thank God, thank yeah. God, he did that movie. Otherwise, he may never work again.
1: That that's very, very true. But what I love is the fact that they picked up the you know the, the Tommy thread. I I you know that that was a a great moment. In I remember in the trailer when you you basically find out you know he's like oh I w- I was the kid that was being babysat. I was like oh cool nice tie-in. I like this. Right. It's a, you know,
0: it's a nice tie in. I'm not 100% sold on the way he acts it, but
1: you know, it's uh it's introducing Paul Rudd. So I'll yeah. I'll give him a little bit of a break on that. I one. mean,
0: there, there there's a certain slack though that you cut it because it is Paul Rudd, but if you look at it just from the movie perspective, I don't know if he's selling it that well. And it's just like there are so many things in this this movie that could have made at least decent if he focused on two of them. Instead, we're we're wrapping up the Jamie story because she dies in this one, by the way. Mm -hmm. So we're wrapping up the Jamie story. we got this new story with a bunch of Strodes and and Danny. You've got the story from uh, Paul Rudd and Tommy Doyle. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the cult storyline. And then you've got Loomis and Dr. Wynn, who had one line in the first movie, and all of a sudden now he's the man in black. So you've got their detective storyline and you've got this baby storyline. and You know what I mean? It's it's we are doing way too many things for an hour and a half.
1: I agree. I, I it is. It is jam packed and frenetic uh, for sure. And you even have um, a Howard Stern commentary.
0: Oh, yes. The, and yeah, I forgot the the Halloween is banned storyline, which, again, that could make a good movie. They finally do something that I think <laughs> makes sense. They ban Halloween. Right. But, you know, it's barely given any due because we got six other storylines we were trying to serve in this film.
1: Right. Uh, what did you think of the, the radio DJ? Because he was very definitely a Howard Stern.
0: I wish they had gotten Howard Stern.
1: Really?
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least he would have been more charismatic. This guy's just annoying. I was very happy to see him die.
1: Another problem. Although, thankfully, at least in the producer's cut, They make it clear he got in the wrong van.
0: Yes, that was good. I I didn't, I I had noticed that. I was like, because I was trying to spot the differences and some of them are very obvious, but that one was like, I don't remember them showing that he got into the wrong van in the theatrical cut. That was kind of interesting.
1: Well, because it doesn't make sense for Michael to kill him. Right. You know, except as like a commentary thing, but if he's so, you know, if the guy's so wrapped up in himself that he doesn't realize he got in the wrong van and it happens to be the killer's van okay, you know, like, okay, well, that at least, you know, makes, uh, makes some sort of sense. But I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's so jam packed. I think a lot of my generous assessment of the producer's cut has to do with the fact that I just think the theatrical cut is so much worse.
0: Oh God. Here's the thing is I may still have problems with the producer's cut. If I ever watch this movie in the future, it will be the producer's cut. Because the theatrical cut is such a train wreck because I watched that one first and like all the, all the hatred and negative feelings I had toward this movie came flooding back when I watched the theatrical version because that one is just a cluster.
1: I I will also say, and I know we're going to get to the mask, but because you can't talk about a Halloween movie without the mask, but I will also say that this was, because, you know, like the last one came out in '89. It came out in '89. I was still, you know, pretty young. But then this one comes out and I'm more aware. I'm a slightly more savvy film goer. And this was the first one where I can remember while watching it. And my friend Joey was with me because he's another, you know, big fan of the franchise. And we were friends by this point. Both of us saying, he moved completely wrong. Like the, the, both the primary Michael and the reshot Michael uh, for, for certain insets. Like it's not, you can tell it's not him. He's not moving. Which is
0: weird because one of the Michaels in this is the same Michael who played him in four. So you would think that he knew how to walk.
1: Right. But he doesn't. He, nothing about Michael Myers is correct in this movie. And can I just
0: say in both movies for me, the biggest problem, well, it's been a problem for a couple of movies now, but in this one especially, Michael Myers isn't scary. He's not even the main. He's not even the main big bad of this.
1: Right. I no. I I completely agree. That was one of the reasons that I was so disappointed. That's one of the reasons I was able to go get up, walk out of the theater, take a smoke break, and come back. I'm not scared while I'm watching this. Even even while I'm sitting here saying, "Oh, I like," I think the producer's cut is is better and. You know, the theatrical cut is worse. I'm at no point frightened while I'm watching this movie. And it is specifically because Michael is no longer scary. And to your point from earlier, once you give him a motivation, it's not really that frightening. You have to be very careful with that motivation. The sister motivation is creepy enough to justify it.
0: And there's cognitive dissonance for me in this film too, in both versions, because, you know, they are giving this explanation. They're giving this motive, but in both versions, they're really trying to make me think of the first movie. They they mm-hmm. use the score a lot. They use Laurie's theme. They use the haunted house theme. They use the chase theme. Uh, and they keep, you know, in both versions, they keep mentioning the boogeyman, but he's not the boogeyman for me anymore in this. So it's like, it's, it's, you're pulling me in two different directions and neither one of them are satisfying me.
1: In in a sense, I think that the, I, I wind up being more forgiving of this entry than you do, I think. And I, I think the reason is because I have detached to the point where I view this in the same vein. When I go back and I watch Halloween three, where it's not really a part of the franchise. And so I'm looking at it as a quirky, pulpy anomaly that happens to use some elements from a series that I like. But this, I I have to really sort of step back and be like, this isn't really the shape right now. This is a movie that uses some of the visual cues but isn't Halloween. Does that make sense?
0: No, it makes sense. And and here's the thing is that I don't really like this movie. I really extremely dislike the theatrical cut and I'm not entirely satisfied with the producer's cut. Although I will say in ranking these films, I used to put six below five when I was just watching the theatrical cut. And I do think five is a better movie than the theatrical cut of six, but I would probably put the producer's cut of six ahead of five now, even though I'm still not sold on it. Yeah. Um, and I'll give it this. I, I respect that they had some kind of ambition because clearly, I mean, money is always a factor in making these sequels, but I get the sense that it, this wasn't just a plain old money grab. They were trying to tell some kind of different story. Right. So I can have a respect for this kind of film, whereas something like when we get to Halloween resurrection in a couple of weeks,
1: oh. that is just made for the money. Oh. Yeah. No, let's not even think about that one yet. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's a, uh, it's an interesting situation because I think with Curse of Michael Myers, it just plays so much on, on my affection for weirdness, right? I, I, I just, I, I know that my judgment of it is just, is just cloudy um, when it comes to certain things. But one thing I know that is curious to me is that the saga of the mask continues. <laughs> I like this. the mask
0: better in this one. It oh, looks, yeah. It, it looks better than it has in a couple of films. I'll say that
1: much. Well, it's not the uh, the glow-in-the-dark white one of four, and it's not the questionable one of five. The one that doesn't
0: even look like him of five, yeah.
1: And it's... um you know not to foreshadow too much but it's definitely better than anything we get in H2O or yeah. uh resurrection i that, like
0: h2o but that mask is not good so yes i agree
1: none of the masks in h2o are good no all of and the masks in h2o are bad
0: no the, the <laughs> yeah that's that's one of the big weak points and then yeah the resurrection one looks like a kabuki mask so
1: <laughs> it does Boy, does it ever. But, you know, I, I mean, the thing is, though, I know that, that we're both we've both been hard on it. If you had to pick one thing where you say, OK, setting aside all of the rest of my opinion about Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. Sure. What's the one good thing that you take out? Like the one thing where if you were to point to something where you say they did that right, what would it be?
0: Even though I'm not totally sold on Paul Rudd's acting, I think the 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 unit of Tommy, Kara, and Danny could have worked in a different movie. I liked their dynamic. And when it was, there was a, there's a point, there's a part of this movie that I do really enjoy when it's focused on those three. And it's the chase, um, the Kara chase between the two houses right before we go to Smith's Grove again. Mm-hmm. As soon as we go to Smith's Grove in both versions, it, it doesn't work for me. It falls apart. But right up into that point, I like that sequence, and so I think in a better movie, I could have I could have been okay following these three.
1: I you know I, I I'm with you on that. Just to be, I would say I would I would likely gravitate to that as well. But because I want to you know also offer some variety, I would say that the tension of the scene with uh, with Deborah the mousy mom. Is good, like her, her going, and especially her going through the backyard with the lost glasses. That's a satisfyingly made, uh, you know, scene. Like it it, it works. It's it's well done, and it it counterbalances. I'm sorry, I can't help but take another swipe, but it completely counterbalances uh, another episode of Michael Myers, master electrician who cuts (laughs) off the power to the house, but the washer is still going. Nobody can explain that one to me. The power's out in the whole house except that one outlet. That's not how circuits work. You turn circuits you also, on and off.
0: You want to take a stab at how, in the theatrical version, he gets the dad's head to explode?
1: Boy, I do not <laughs> want to take a. I hated that. I still hate that. That's so gross. I was so glad that you know that may actually be another thing that makes me uh, more forgiving of the producer's cut. Is that that exploding head isn't in there? Because that's just...
0: That exploding head gross. isn't in there, but that puppet of the dad doesn't look good either in the oh, producer's cut.
1: That that puppet of the dad is as bad as the puppet of um, the brother at the beginning of Night of the Living Dead when, yeah. when he hits the tombstone. It's like, yeah, okay, guys, come on. You could have cut around this one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And
0: I will, yeah, Deborah's stuff is good in the producer's cut because one of the things that absolutely drove me crazy in the theatrical cut, and we haven't touched that much upon it, Mm-hmm. Is the score, but not just the score. Did you notice, like, if you watch the, pre- the the theatrical cut, they put way too many musical stings on there for false jump scares. And none yeah. of them are in the producer's cut, but they're rampant in the theatrical cut.
1: Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it till you said it. But yeah, that that's another, the gore and then the stings are definitely the sign of a studio scrambling to try to salvage what they could. Uh,
0: And actually it was kind of cool because I I don't know if it's because they didn't have a complete original score or not, but when I was watching the producers cut last night, I noticed that uh, some of the stings and some of the cues they used were from Halloween too. And it made me think of that better movie, but I, but I enjoyed seeing, hearing them again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the saddest part of it is that the last appropriate send-off, if you will, of Loomis Yeah, would have been four. There was no way to send him off after, like, after he breaks in four, there's, like, that's the saddest ending for his character. It's it's just like, and I'm about to spoil a very famous movie franchise that everybody should have seen by this point, the Godfather franchise, so skip ahead, like, two minutes, because I'm going to... Very much use it as an example. Loomis at the end of four is like Michael Corleone at the end of the Godfather part two. Right. Having him come back for Godfather part three was not right. Michael for all intents and purposes, spiritually speaking is dead at the end of two. You don't need to see him die on screen. You don't need to see what happens next. He's broken. It's the end of the road for him and Loomis the end of four was the end of the road for that character. Everything else feels tacked on. But to speak to your point, Pleasance still gives it his all in this movie. And yeah, that's another reason I prefer the the producer's cut is because they saved as much of it as they could.
0: The issue is though, John, I mean, except for Daniel Harris in the last two films, who's not in this film. Mm-hmm. If Loomis wasn't here, I don't know who I would be rooting for or who, who I would have my attachment to because we're just meeting Tommy and mm. Kara again. So it's hard to form some sort of quick attachment with them. So it's like, yeah, he shouldn't have gone on, but I don't know who else in this film I could connect to, which is why I ended up enjoying the producers cut more. Cause I could see his pretty much full last performance.
1: Uh, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, it, it's sort of Halloween six being his last film is sort of like the fact that Orson Welles, last film was Transformers, Transformers the, movie, the movie, where you look at it and you say, that one really, yeah. You know, like you look at Pleasant's Blofeld. That's how he we went to huh? You know, President in uh, Escape from New York. Huh? I guess you could just say though he
0: went out. His last role was as the icon. His pretty much trademark character. So,
1: you know that that's not in a good
0: film, but it, it was the last performance. Was his most famous character.
1: That is a terrific point. This is his Obi Wan Kenobi, and he uh, he wrote it until the end. So,
0: and God bless him. I mean. Donald Pleasance has been a, a war horse throughout this whole series. And even though I think his his storyline is definitely played out by this point, I mean, he's a presence that I've always missed.
1: Oh yeah, for um, sure.
0: And so, I mean, and God love him. He had a, such a wicked good sense of humor. Like I, I'm i sure you've heard this quote where someone asked him once how many Halloweens he would do. And he said, I'll, I'll, I think I'll stop after number 22.
1: Uh, <laughs> what what a great you got to love a guy that has a great sense of humor about it like that. You really, you really, really do. And this is a
0: guy who didn't necessarily want to be in the first one. He didn't, he said behind the scenes that he didn't get it. Yeah. That um, he mainly took the part because his daughter loved uh, John Carpenter's score from Assault on Precinct 13. So to go from that to I'll stop at 22,
1: mm-hmm. you got to love the guy. You do. So final question then. Final ultimate question you're encountering somebody on this, you know, watch through or whatever that has seen up through Halloween 4 or 5. Do you tell them to watch Halloween 6? I'm and presum- I'm just taking the theatrical cut off the table here. Do you tell them even to bother with Halloween 6 the producer's cut or to live happily without it in their memory?
0: I feel like you've got to see this at least once. Um, even though I don't love it, I'm glad that I did see the producer's cut. And if I ever return to this film, which isn't always a guarantee, but hell, I'll return to this film. I'll return to the producer's cut of this before I ever return to resurrection. So, um,
1: you know, I, I mean, I can tell you, I'd, I would rather have this in my brain than uh, Rob Zombie's movies. Yeah, same, you know, or resurrection. Uh,
0: but like resurrection is my low point. I can't wait till we get to that because I think we'll need an hour because well it'll it won't be a podcast so much as a purge.
1: <laughs> um, that's true.
0: That's but um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in for a penny, in for a pound on this, yeah, you should watch it. But if you can, by all means, track down the producer's cut because if you want some semblance of a coherent movie, that's where you're going to find it.
1: Yeah, I I definitely. I would encourage just because I like crazy movies. uh, And I I think that this is a fascinating movie on several levels, um, both in where it fails and the moments where it succeeds. And the producer's cut is definitely more cohesive. So I think if you're going to watch the Halloween series, you you definitely should add this. But to your point, producer's cut only. Do not. Yeah. I mean, if I
0: had to explain it, like, on a scale of one to five, the theatrical cut is an absolute one. Whereas for me, the producer's cut is a better film, but it still has some sort of things that I just can't get over. But I, if the theatrical is a one for me, the producer's cut is around like a two and a half, where it's watchable, yeah. but not great as far as I'm concerned.
1: I th- I think I wind up in the same in the same field. I'm like some. I I think I waver between a two, two and a half. You know, it, it depends on my mood. Uh, Right. When you catch me. So, but if somebody has watched Halloween six and they want to talk to you about it, Matt, where can they find you online?
0: They can find me at M Hansen0207.
1: You can find me at Kessel junkie and here on the network on the uh, Parsec award nominated uh, aggressive negotiation. Star Wars podcast with uh, Matt rushing here on the nerd party network every week.
0: Yeah, and this was a very interesting discussion. I got new perspectives on Halloween 6, so thank you, John, for for opening my mind and broadening my perspectives. Um, but I will say, just as for personal preference, I can't wait, get, wait to get back to my Jamie Lee Curtis next week yes. when we review um, H2O. But until that time, John, it was the boogeyman.
1: As a matter of fact, it was.